You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's, for example, there's some companies in the U.S., some biotechs that essentially um, celebrate failure or celebrate when a product is, is, is terminated because it is a decision. And in, in healthcare, you have to be very decisive and you essentially look at facts and then you decide, is this really well worth it? Are we competitive to, to, to our competition? G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. One of the things that I most enjoy about making this podcast is delving into all the nooks and crannies of investment markets. And one of the areas that has come to the fore lately is, of course, the health sector. So my guest today is Dr. Bianca Ogden, who is a fund manager at Platinum Asset Management. Bianca is originally a virologist who now runs Platinum's healthcare fund. She has a unique perspective from a medical and an investment point of view. G'day, Bianca. Hi, thank you for having me. That's exciting. <laughs> no worries. Thanks very much. To explain what I do. Yeah, thanks very much for coming on. So tell us a bit about your background. How did you start in virology? I grew up in Germany and during my time at school or at high school, as you would call it here, um, I had a um, biology teacher who um, was very much into molecular biology at the time. So it was um, in the um, 80s, essentially. And at the time, you had HIV start to emerge. And one thing he did in our classes was he really often did real-life issues in healthcare that were coming up. And so we delved into quite into detail about this virus and what viruses are. And that kind of started my almost obsession with this area. And from there, I was lucky because where I grew up in the next town was the... um, it's called the Paul Ehrlich Institute, which basically looks at every vaccine that gets approved in Germany. And they had these lectures um, that were basically looking into HIV and, and what the current um, research was looking like. And I dragged my dad, because we couldn't drive at the time, dragged my dad with me to sit through these lectures. And, um, and I never looked back. I thought that was quite fascinating how these little creatures, they're not really creatures, but these little um, subjects could cause so much havoc and that kind of started me on my way to virology really and from then on I basically selected a university that had a virology degree or offered a virology degree there are not that many around really that focused on that and um, yeah never looked back really. And you had something to do with um, a particular drug that was used in HIV treatment? Yes yes so I I did a, um, worked for a little while at Novartis in, mm-hmm. in Switzerland and I worked in the um, team that was looking at new drugs for HIV. And one of the drugs that we were looking at is um, today was, is available on the market and that people actually use. It's, it's not as good anymore because there's new ones, but it is available as for generic use. So it's quite, quite exciting how that all works, the whole process, how from start to finish really. So how did the transition take place going from virology into becoming a funds manager? Yeah, the transition. It's quite a leap. Yeah, well, it is. It is. I call it the dark side, really. Um, <laughs> I think what, what I was fascinated while working at, um, particularly at Novartis, I, um, we had weekly meetings um, with all the different project leaders 
And one of the things that I found fascinating is how these guys made decisions on what to um, basically move forward into clinical trials or what to look at. And it was such a diverse set of, I think, areas that they were looking at. One was looking at, at oncology. The other one was looking at virology. Then there were others looking at obesity and all sorts of different things. And I thought, well, that's quite interesting. How do they do that and how does that work? And um, when you're in the lab, you're quite, you work in your little kind of area and most of the time things don't work and you, you're not as exposed to everything else. And so I somehow got interested into the share market also by looking at um, tools that I used in the lab and then following up what companies do that and started to invest. And out of that was probably always a, uh, an interest in financial markets and what they do. And in the end, the ultimate um, change that happened was, I think J&J sent me to a conference at um, some local conference here in Australia which was all about business development in different um, areas. And they sent me as a representative because Johnson & Johnson was um, sponsoring it. And um, someone approached me and said, would I be interested? And um, I went to um, and thought, oh, why not? I give it a go. I didn't know what they really, what that was really all about. And I can remember when I met um, Care for the first time, I, I got a bit worried about it because I said to him, like, oh, well, can I just come in for a day and, and look, you know, how this works? And he immediately said, no, you can't. And I thought, that's a bit strange but in the end it was more he knew if I come in I would find it really strange and probably would never join and he probably was right um, because the, the jargon that people use in the financial industry is very different to what a scientist use they find my jargon different but that kind of in the end I took the plunge I always had in the back of my mind and I always said to care what, what would I do if I can't you know don't like it and he said well we then find you something else it's okay but yeah, in the end, I went there. I think I didn't hate, didn't like the first six months because of the jargon, and neither did they. I think my my colleagues. But yeah, that was kind of it was more like a gradual transition. But it was all about I wanted to understand how CEOs and companies really make a decision in really deploying a lot of capital and making pipeline decisions. Care Nelson is the founder of Platinum Asset Management. That's um, who was uh, tempting you to come into the uh, the industry. Yes, yes. So he was he was convincing me, and um, yeah, didn't let me come to have a have a have a have a test ride. But in the end, I did the right thing. You touched on just a moment ago that um, the way that you looked at viruses, there may have been some similarities, or the, the, how the science worked, there may be some similarities with financial markets as well. Did you bring anything from the science background, uh, apart from your knowledge of virology, of course, mm. but to the way markets work? I think it's 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 a, one thing I particularly in the last six months during this, this pandemic, what really um, surprised me was um, I can remember, uh, so scientists are very fact-driven. So they look at facts and then they have a hypothesis and then they determine it and they're very critical of what they do. In um, financial markets, it's almost um, the opposite. It's more about a story and don't let the facts get in the way of a story. And I can remember that I was very surprised every morning we had a, have a morning, had a morning meeting, we still have, um, and people were saying, oh, this company should be growing at about 5% earnings. And, or some say, oh, at 5 to 10%. I just couldn't understand why people just always said 5 to 10%. And I guess what I then realized is that these people, it's not very scientific. It's much more like it's about a story. It's about the future. But I think when you, when you look at as a scientist, you're very analytical and you, you actually can pinpoint trends quite well and you can decipher that and that's the kind of an advantage that I have and I bring that to to the market 
And what I've learned in the last six months is that there's a lot of rumors, a lot of um, misinformation out there, and a lot of people um, follow it. Whereas if you stick to the facts, and um, it will play out in the end. So it's, I guess it's, it's, it's different, but you still, with an analytical brain, you bring that to it, and that helps quite a lot. Can you give us a bit of an overview of the healthcare sector? Um, now, you invest internationally, but um, just to give us a, an idea of the size, what's the relative size of our local sector compared to the rest of the world? I think when you look at the, the healthcare spending that, that happens in Australia, I think to globally it looks um, it is between 1% or 2% really of the global market that Australia spends on healthcare. So it's relatively small, but it is obviously a thriving sector and there's a lot more being spent over time. And um, what we actually have here is there's quite a lot of science being done but one of the things that is is lacking here a lot is is venture capital, like a good good system, and that that is difficult because it is a small market and everything essentially has to go overseas because that's where the bigger money is really to be made. Um, so, but it is it's an interesting market. We 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 follow it closely, particularly in, in healthcare, particularly what's going on in innovation, trying to understand what's happening. But overall, it is relatively small compared to everywhere else. And um, I think, I believe now, CSL, which is a healthcare stock, is the biggest share yes. on the ASX. Yeah. yeah. So CSL is, the, is kind of the poster child of, of Australia mm-hmm. in, in terms of, of the healthcare sector. And um, they have done remarkably well and um, they have a very good business model and they're in, in the plasma business in particular as well as in the flu vaccine. But, yeah, they're like the big the big um, poster child. What is it I heard that they, they farm blood? <laughs> that's their, their business model. That's basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. That's like while everyone knows about iron ore and, and all of those, they basically do that with blood and basically extract all sorts of things out of, out of blood. The healthcare sector is a large, has a large range of investments. I mean, it's all the way from research through to hospitals and um, much from the, the, the smallest to the biggest kind of companies. Yes. So it's, I always say, because um, people always look at it, oh, we don't really want to do, talk about healthcare because it's basically, it's about a disease and it's not usually not nice. But on the other flip side, um, it is essentially a consumer market because we are consumers of, of this system. And uh, when you then look at it and say, okay, so we go to the doctor, we go to the hospital, there's in and out patient services. And if you look at it like that, it's, it's sometimes easier to understand what's going on. So you as a consumer go there and then they tell you what to buy essentially. They give you a script and you go to the pharmacy and fill your script. Or these days you can also go into um, maybe you need an over-the-counter drug so you can buy it at Coles or Woolworths. So that's kind of you as the consumer. Now, these um, products that you buy or the services that, that come up or the devices that you need, an implant or, or even your dental checkups, all of these things that are being used, someone has innovated or has developed. And um, that's what we focus on. So we focus very much on, on innovation, on new drugs, on new devices. And what we also focus on, which some I think is not much appreciated, is is also what people in the labs or the scientists have actually come up with these new new inventions, the tools that they need to use to, to drill deeper into a disease or to come up with a new crown material. We look at these tool companies as well, and they're very interesting because they usually have technologies that later become drugs. So we try and get them very early and then sit with them on the journey. So there's, there's lots of different subsectors 
uh, we very much focus on innovation and that's the core of, of what this fund is all about. Can you give us a bit of an example, perhaps, of um, one of your favourite investments in this area? Ooh, okay. Um, we have one overlaying theme that we, I think, ever since I joined Platinum 15 plus years ago, we believe that over time the best thing to tackle a disease is to detect it really, really early, essentially almost when it hasn't even shown its, its true colours. And so that area of diagnostic, we're big fans of. And so we have several years ago had an investment in a company called Foundation Medicine. And they basically said, well, we're going to come out with a um, DNA test or tests where we look at the, the genome or we profile the, um, the cancer. And so they set that all up and they built a lot of databases linking different profiles of a cancer to drugs and, and watching those outcomes. At the time, the market it was, was listed in the US. It's a US biotech. Um, we invested in it at about 500 million market cap. And at the time, the market was very worried that that test would be too expensive, it wouldn't be reimbursed, and, and it's just basically just focused on those things. Yeah, and we've, we surely agree it was, it was an issue. But to us, there was much bigger play to be had because this company had a big um, relationship with Roche Diagnostic, which is one of the biggest diagnostic providers globally. And um, we knew that Roche had quite big plans with this company. So we thought, no, let's not focus on the short term. One day they will get the reimbursement. There will be some um, settlement on what the price will be. And lo and behold, that all paid out. And in the end, the company was acquired for $5 billion. I think it was $5-plus billion by Roche diagnostics. And so we try to really pinpoint these themes quite early on. And we've got a couple of, of, of those, those similar kind of stories in the fund. And we sit with them and we basically go on a journey. There will be ups and downs, but usually the downs are pretty good for us to add a little bit more to the position. But it is that, that thinking, how does healthcare and how does the change in the next five years, what will really happen? So there's digital, there's different things. So when we, for example, meet companies, we um, have like a dialogue with them, trying to understand where they're coming from. Also, we sometimes see smaller companies where we can say, oh, what, how does that fit into your um, environment? What do you do? So, so that's probably a good, good representative idea of what, what we do and how we do things. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. I've read that in the healthcare sector, the hit ratio is the important thing because there's going to be lots of hits and misses. And uh, it comes to a point that you've spoken about before, which is how failure is a key part of this industry. I look at failure quite differently. I, I, I can assure you that when I wake up in the morning, because usually things happen for us overnight because it's international um, and something has failed, it, it isn't a great feeling and you feel like, ah. Oh. But there's, for example, there's some companies in the US, some biotechs that essentially um, celebrate failure or celebrate when a product is, is, is terminated. 
because it is a decision. And in, in healthcare, you have to be very decisive and you essentially look at facts and then you decide, is this really well worth it? Are we competitive to, to, to our competition? And you learn from it. That's the biggest thing because when I was in the lab, basically 90% of your, of your um, experiments fail. So you constantly have to pick yourself up and think about, okay, how about I do it this way? What's happening? Is the hypothesis wrong? So you learn from it. And the biggest and best investments for us have been in companies that basically had a setback, but they do have a very solid um, scientific um, core to them. They have a very good team and they can pivot to kind of their next pipeline product. And um, in those situations, you essentially just have to decide, do I think that is the core is still okay or is there something wrong with the, with the approach that this company is taking? That usually helped us, helps us to then put more money in and essentially out of that we, we tend to make quite a lot more because it doesn't really mean that everything fails if one thing fails, but it's also important for us to have the conversation with them and say, well, why did it fail? Explain to us and what did we learn from that? Um, and I think that's that's key. So I see failure quite differently, and um, it doesn't feel right at that time in that moment. But in the end, you have to then see the opportunity for the coming years, what you do. And I think that's important um, to keep in mind that you always know what the company is actually about, and not just a um, to play some catalyst. And a lot of people do that. I I don't, and we don't really do that. So valuing companies in this sector is obviously a very different skill to how companies are valued in other sectors. Yeah. How, how difficult is to value investments in the healthcare sector? Um, it's, it's, I have a framework that I developed probably for the last, for my career. And the framework is all you, essentially in my head, you have like a, a 3D image of a lot of the companies that exist in biotech in the world. And you tend to have an idea of what have they, who are they, and what's their valuation. And out of that, you then assign each of them your, your own valuation. So a lot of people do DCFs or cash flow analysis. Um, to me, yes, you can do that and you get some kind of ballpark out of it. But in the end, a drug tends to either work or it doesn't. So even assigning a percentage point to it, it doesn't really work. So I do have usually quite firm belief in, in either technologies or in, in, um, in drugs. And I usually have a firm belief in the team. So to me, the people behind these companies are very important to understand and how they make decisions. And I've learned a lot from, I like them usually to fall over because then I can really see how good they are at making different decisions. Yeah, because they're famous for burning through cash stocks in this sector, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of people criticise them for that. But I've learned that if you, and we we struggle in in, in Australia with this, if you don't have enough cash to actually explore your great product, you're not going to fail because your product is fake. You're just going to fail because no one gave you the money. And so we're seeing it at the moment a lot that in particular in the US, which is very well funded, they can move very quickly and they can do the proper trials. And I think it's kind of a chicken and the egg problem because here you may have a great, the best molecule ever, but you don't have the money to do it. So I think while people always say, oh, you're spending too much, it's, um, I say, well, you've got to look at it. Do you rather want them to do slowly, but they never will get there? Or do you actually want to get them, get there? So it's, it's again goes back is the company just using the money to um, to travel or 
have a nice life or are they actually putting it really where what they're supposed to do? So you have to understand that. Often companies do acquisitions, so you have to really look at is that really the right way and that they're spending enough. So there's different ways to look at it if if they spend the money wisely or not. Okay, so my next question, of course, is we've got to touch on COVID-19 and the current situation. And I originally said, um, is there going to be a vaccine? Do you think that, that we'll be able to find a vaccine? But then the second part I'd like to add to that question is, is it even necessary to have a vaccine? Is a, a treatment uh, something that um, can help in this situation as well as a vaccine? I think both would be great. I think there will be a vaccine coming out of this because I think we have different ways of, of companies now trying to do vaccines. So it's not just one technology that they use. There's different companies using different technologies, and that's actually great to see because each of them does it slightly different. We'll probably get a different response And um, I don't think the first one we will see, the first vaccine will be the best. I think it will transition us to to the next stages or next next, um, generation of vaccines. So I think for um, a a, a very normal life where we, for example, travel very easily and without thinking about um, this virus, I think we will require a vaccine. In terms of, of drugs, it would be great if we if we have something, for example, what we have for, for HIV, the different different drugs that are available now that made that disease into a slightly different chronic disease than we, we had in, in the 80s. I think the two of them have to work together. So it is um, one of the issues always in pandemics is the patients that you have, will there will be less because we're, we're, we're dealing with it quite well. And, be, and then usually sometimes it can fizzle out. But with this, I think it is, it is with us. So that gives companies a lot more patience to test it on because with others, the patients dried up very quickly. So I think we're, we're, we're getting there. And I think my thing from the start has been, so we've seen a couple of these coronavirus pandemics. So we had SARS, MERS, and now COVID. I think that is a bit of an indication that this coronavirus pandemic or epidemic is, is a little bit with us here for, for the long run. And, and we should really make sure that we have a vaccine as, as, well, as, a, as, a, as well as therapeutics available. So I'm, I'm for all for it. I'm astounded by how much money has so quickly been mobilised into it. But that's, I guess, um, people really want to make sure that, that we can get back to as much normality as we can. I've, I've heard you in another interview talk about the way vaccines are changed, like um, the old style of vaccines compared to the, the newer ways of delivering vaccines into the system. If you look at the vaccine industry, there has, have been four big dominant players and they have been very, very good in, in making vaccines and also combination vaccines. And that has been gradually growing and growing. It's a great business to be in. What we over the last, probably we've been looking at vaccines for the last decade, thought that why is there no, not much change in this industry? What, what's going on? And um, we then came ab- across these companies which use a different kind of way of doing it where you essentially can synthesise the vaccine itself and then use the human as the manufacturing side, which cuts out the vats that you need to make the vaccine in. And we thought that's a very clever way of doing it. And sure, the technology has to prove itself and you have to test it, but that's usually where biotech fits in. That's their bread and butter. And so we thought that was very interesting and that could really change the industry. Um, For example, someone um, this week was saying, I think early, a couple of years ago, someone said, well, we could maybe have, you know, little vaccine shops 
in different places that that then make these kind of they're called mRNA vaccines potentially. So there's that it's it's always a, a dream or a story initially, but then these companies get money and get behind it and really try and push the envelope. There's also different other ways of how you can make um, technologies, how you how you can make the um, usually in a vaccine you have to make one part of the vaccine that causes basically makes the immune response and it's always about how do you make that most efficiently and I think we're seeing different companies trying to do that and that will change the the, the face of the um, of vaccine and that's what we were quite excited about last year because it really slowly you get more and more data around it and these companies have been able to raise money quite nicely so that's that's what we're excited about. Again, it goes back to we look at innovation, we look at different things that that you know may not be so feasible today, but in years to come will become very interesting. ShareSite is an online portfolio tracking tool that automatically records trades, dividends, ETF distributions, and gives you the reporting tools you need to help you manage your portfolio. ShareSite is pleased to extend a special offer to listeners of this podcast. Four months free on an annual premium plan. Go to ShareSite.com slash shares for beginners and sign up now for a free trial before taking advantage of four free months. It'll help you save money at tax time and improve your investing decisions. That's ShareSite.com slash shares for beginners. wonder you work in this sector. Yeah, it's, it's such exciting. an interesting and exciting and fascinating yes, place, isn't it? It is. It yeah. is. It's a very, um, it's very relatively, there's always something to talk about. But I, when I first started, I went to a meeting with um, Clorox in the US with one of my colleagues. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he, we were talking about innovation at Clorox who makes cleaning products. And they were so excited because they had an innovation of making a cleaning product smell orangey rather than lemony and it's oranged and lemon and they thought that was the best thing and I thought like that cannot be true like, but so <laughs> it's different innovation but we're very much at the innovation side where it's really kind of exciting and there's every day something new and people push the push, push the envelope very much. People who observe this sector notice that there can be quite wild swings in the the share price of some of these companies. So we're recording today on May 27th. We just should timestamp this because of uh, the current situations and how things are moving so quickly. But, um, for example, last week Moderna Mm -hmm. had a huge rise in in its share price because uh, there was an announcement about um, their vaccine. Can you tell us a bit more about that, please? Yeah, so Moderna is one of those mRNA um, vaccine makers and they have very quickly obviously embraced their technology and very quickly in January started making their vaccine contender. And um, and they obviously moved very quickly into the clinic and they showed or they had a press release saying about some of the data that they got from their phase one. And that caused a lot of excitement. Interestingly, the next day, it wasn't so exciting anymore. To be honest, uh, we have been in this in this um, company since the IPO, which was um, 18 months ago. And to us, it was about um, what can you do in the vaccine industry? It wasn't about a pandemic. There's always in the back of your mind when you go into vaccines, there could be a pandemic, but that's just something that could happen. So we found the technology very interesting. We're also in um, their um, competitor, a German company called BioNTech, because we believe that this mRNA technology has come a long way and it, it and we're seeing data now that could actually mean it, it has some legs to stand on. 
and what happened was a lot of people um, are not very basically say, well, we haven't seen the real data, it's a press release and, and, and all the normal debates that you get in this, in this sector. And the company has always been attracted to people that really dislike them. And um, we have always had very, very good interactions with the company. We have always been, um, we visited them, we visited their manufacturing side, we met their scientists, we met their papers. So we've done what we do. But it's obvious the share price has gone quite well. They um, then raised money, which we probably don't agree with that valuation, but that's for other people to decide. Um, so we didn't participate and, um, and we essentially have been trimming slightly some of the positions that we have and that's what we do. So we look at valuation, we look at, you know, what can they achieve? The debate is always what can they price it at? There's other vaccine developers out there. None of them can make it all for everyone. Biotechs, to be honest, at times generate a lot of emotional response in this and this one in particular has a quite emotional response in people. But, um, no, you have to keep quite level-headed in this space and really look at, you know, where are we at, where did that come from, and, um, and that's what we do. You referred to having a 3D view of the industry. Is this an example of it where you're looking at one company that might be developing a particular technology, but then you also know about yeah. other companies that are yeah. working in this, the yeah. same space? So I, I noticed a lot. So one of the things that I noticed that is very important is because there's so much going on and um, there's a, a publicly listed companies that essentially have, that's one part of it, but there's a whole lot of private companies, academic labs, and you somehow have to have in your head all these different basically puzzle pieces. And in the end, you have to understand that, yeah, that's great. They make, that's Use Moderna, they make a vaccine with the technology but there's two German companies that are doing quite well with their technology. And on top of that, there's a Johnson & Johnson, there's a Chinese, several Chinese companies, there's so many different ones. And each of them has very good technology and each of them is putting a lot of money behind it. So while um, everyone for some reason focuses on, on Moderna, you should also consider the other ones because uh, and understand them. So you have to do the hard work. And we do that in everything. We do that in breast cancer and lung cancer. And it's interesting. I always find that a lot of people just focus on one thing, but they forget that by the, by in five years' time, when you actually come to the market, it, things may have totally changed and you need to take that into consideration. It's not easy for a generalist to do that, but that's why we're very specialised in that to try really, really keep abreast of that and really move on and stay also very close to the industry to understand what is an AstraZeneca going to do, what is a, 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 um, a CSL going to do. They have to think about how things pan out in five years' time and they have to be ready for that. If listeners are interested in finding out more about this uh, fund, where can they go? Um, they can go on our website, which is um, www.platinum.com.au, and there is, a, um, I think, a, a part to it where you can click basically into our different funds that we have, and the uh, one is the Platinum International Healthcare Fund. We write every quarter a quarterly update on all our funds, which is very interesting to read because it's basically every quarter I write about, and we write it ourselves, fund manager, each of us, what is going on in the industry, what we're looking at, different themes we're exploring. So it, it keeps you probably up to date with, with what's going on really um, overseas and globally and how we really try and decipher it and stay ahead, really. 
and uh, Julian, Julian McCormack, who's been on this uh, program a couple of times, yeah. he will want me to say as well, if before investing in any funds, read the PDS. That's right. Yes. Yeah. That gives you all the details about everything. That's right. Okay, Bianca, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure meeting you and uh, chatting with you. Finally, I've been no, trying to get you on the podcast for ages. Good. Thank you. No, thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thank you. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Soulos for music production with that special Greekalicious flavour. Remember, music always flows, even when the money won't. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 